what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the third episode of Highway to Heaven Revisited, the internet's only comprehensive view of the classic 1980s television show starring Michael Landon. This is a legendary television show, as we all know. A lot of us remember it in different ways, and this is exactly the podcast to explore how we all feel about this memorable show. This show, of course, is hosted by the one and only Rachel Mayer. Hello. Rachel, good to have you here. Good to be here. And ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Joel Luters. Hi, folks. And I'm the moderator, Sam Hine. Just to get everybody up to speed, the light premise of the podcast is that Joel and Rachel spend some time together and watch each and every episode of Highway to Heaven, and I do not participate in that process whatsoever. I invite them over to my house, and they tell me all about everything they saw on Highway to Heaven. Here we go. Episode three, guys. Tell me all about it. Well, I would call this episode four. I guess it is. Technically, it's episode four. It is called Return of the Masked Rider. Is this the Zorro episode? Instead of Zorro, it's more of a spin-off of the Lone... The Lone Ranger. Oh, okay. Yes. As the episode begins, you see an old cowboy nervously walking down the street with a brown paper bag with celery sticking out of this brown paper bag. Well, obviously, he's been grocery shopping. You know, he's got celery in a bag. That's very clear. Yes. And you know what? I'm going to interrupt briefly just to say, I think this episode was from 1984. There are maybe some problematic racial themes in this episode, but I think let's just keep going and we'll address them as we come to them. I think that's all we can do in this day and age. Just be prepared. As we see that he is walking down the street in what would be the bad part of town. How can you tell it's the bad part of town? Uh, It kind of looks like a set from Death Wish. Are there any hobo fires, you know, in the alleys? Are there any trash cans on fire? Because then you know it's a bad side of town. Well, he walks past some gentlemen in jackets that say Satan's helpers. Denim jackets. This is a bad sign. This is not a good sign. And just in case there was any doubt by the Satan's helpers jackets, music is pretty important in this episode. And we have a distinct music change when we jump to the Satan's helpers. Okay. As he walks past Satan's helpers, the music changes into kind of a funky shaft Yeah, okay. It sort of started with what I presume would be an orchestra sort of Michael Landony thing, like, and then it's like, that's actually more the Seinfeld theme song, but something a little. Then the old cowboy, he gets grabbed by one of the gangsters that we would learn is named Thumper. Right. So at this point, there's three gang members who have been kind of strutting down the street. The old man's trying to walk faster, get away from him. But then the gang members accost him with a uh, very threatening, hey, pops, what's shaking? 
Okay. I can see why you put a disclaimer on this. Yeah, there's definitely more than a few stereotypes going on here. I feel like the easy go-to of any 80s TV show is like, oh, it's a black guy, so he should be a jive-talking pimp with a switchblade. Well, you're close. Mm -hmm. But I do have to say, you know, about 30 years in the future here, I just thought they were very good-looking, attractive gang members, very fashionable. Oh, excellent. Yeah, they had on tight jeans, really cool leather vests, denim jackets, very artfully placed patches all over the jacket, some trucker hats. You know, nice. they, they looked yeah. cool. Some red bandanas, red like kind of like Bruce Springsteen style around the neck. So it's some sort of weird uh, marriage of West Side Story aesthetics. I yes. would yeah, just say it's uh, uh, Black Bruce Springsteen's. Actually, Let's that, do it. That's pretty accurate. Moving forward, perhaps yeah. we could just refer to them as the Black Springsteens. <laughs> we can try. I don't know if we can pull that off. Okay, I mean, if Black Bruce Springsteens is easier, go for that. I actually just think Satan's Helpers is a lot easier. Actually, that and, does have the best ring to it. And not problematic at all. Yeah. And I believe in the credits, they took the Satan out of them. They just wrote Helper 1, Helper 2, Helper 3. <laughs> oh, I did not catch that. They turn Keep to going. the cowboy and they say, What'd you get at the drugstore, Pops? A little second all? Um, and then they proceed to start digging through his bag and pull out a little pharmacy packet and rip it open. Yeah. <laughs> not my medicine, please. But then they're upset because it's not second all. It's not second all. And they open up the pill bottle and he's like, Shoot, this ain't dope. <laughs> Okay, I have a couple questions already. First of all, does anybody present at the table know what kind of drug secondol is? I was wondering if it was a real drug, but it is a real drug. It's basically an obsolete sedative, so they don't okay. use it anymore. It's now been replaced by the family of benzodiapine drugs, which have Valium, Xanax, Ativan. Those are more commonly used. On the street, if you were at a party looking to get this, you might ask for something such as Red Devils or Red Reds? So you might say, got some reds? I think I've heard it referred to as reds in at least one or two movies of the 80s. Yeah, that sounded familiar to me too. Satan's helpers are looking for second all. If this is a cowboy going to the pharmacy, kind of sounds like an old codger. Yeah, he's definitely an old guy. Kind of worn out looking cowboy hat. It was like a white cowboy hat though, right? Or At tan? one time, a oh, white yeah. shirt, but it all kind of ruffled. Kind of had the appearance of like, this guy might have been the sheriff. He had a white mustache too, right? Mm -hmm. So Wilford Brimley is getting jacked for his diabetes medication on an urban corner somewhere in America. Have we established where this particular small town where Michael Landon will certainly intervene later is? They don't say specifically where it is. It definitely has more of an urban look to it. More apartment buildings, high-rise buildings in the background. You know, looks like a busier street that he's walking along. A sunny Chicago is the feeling that I got. Okay. Since they didn't get any reds, they settled for taking his money. They took what he had and started just laughing, laughing their heads off and turned around and walked away. And the old man is standing there. He does have his groceries back, but he's sort of fighting back tears. You know, you can see he's trying to hold it in. He's got hurt feelings. He does. Now we're going to cut to Mark and Jonathan. Okay, so the last time we saw Mark and Jonathan, they had driven away from Bastion's house right before he died of cancer. They pretty much just left death in their wake and drove off. They're in their car? They're in their car and they pull up in front of a gym. We see a sign that says Main Street Gym 318 and a half. Do they have business in this gym? They do. <laughs> 
surprisingly. Are but they going to go break the ice with some local strangers? They are. Mark has some doubts, though. He does. He says, uh, he looks around and he says, ah, this doesn't look like a place for angels. <laughs> you sure, uh, you sure we're going to the right place here? And then we see the Satan's helpers who just accosted the old man. They cross in front of the parked car and they all bang on the hood. They just slam their fists down on the hood. And then they go into the gym and they have to go up a flight of stairs. So they go up some exterior stairs and enter the front door for the gym. Okay. You're doing a good mark, Joel. I think we should do this one here to give Sam the full effect of their first conversation. You know, I just can never get enough of these reenactments. So please. Look at those guys. They don't exactly look like Mouseketeers. Come on, what are you worried about? I'm not worried. Well, of course you're not worried. You're already an angel. I, I thought I'd put it off for a little while. How do you know you're going to be one? Wow, 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 wow. And then the camera goes slowly into Mark's right eye as he stares unblinkingly into the lens. And then the rest of the episode is this weird dream sequence into Mark's psyche, right? Yes. What I like about this is that it does support the theory that the angels in this world did exist as humans, but then graduated to getting to become angels versus being angels from birth. Yeah, it does support that theory. We talked about that a little previously. So Michael Landon's existence is he used to be a person and then he died and then he became an angel. Whereas if you take a different show of today, the miniseries on Amazon called Good Omens, those characters have been angels or demons for like the entire existence of man. I think we just need to wait and find out more information. As a viewer, I really like knowing that maybe one day I could become an angel. It seems like a lot of work at this point, though. I mean, if I became an angel, I feel like I'd want more leisure time, more just sitting around hanging out with cats, less having to go and fix everybody's lives. I don't know, because I oftentimes feel best when I have a problem that's just a half step beyond my ability. And so that you're always being, you know, flexed become a bigger, better person. Well, maybe we're getting into everybody's idea of heaven. You know, maybe that's your heaven is being an angel who's a half step behind solving everybody's problems. You know, I wouldn't mind solving people's problems as long as I had a guaranteed lightsaber for life. I'll just go with the cats. That sounds much better to me. I'll say there are no lightsabers in this episode. That's a disappointment. But we are going to get a little bit into, uh, you know, what angels can and can't do on Earth. Yes, this is an unfolding process. So far, we've learned that angels can literally make food that'll come in store packages out of the fridge, but they can't make any money. But I think that's how it worked in the Bible. There was a lot of making food and making drinks, but not a lot of making money. That's very true. What does the Lord need with a starship? (laughs) Your idea of heaven. Okay, so you can probably guess where Jonathan and Mark are going next. They're going right up into the gym themselves. What kind of gym is this? Is this like a weight room, sort of like a Gold's Gym, or is this a boxing gym? This is a boxing gym. So before we actually uh, get to the boxing part, they run into Thumper, the gang leader. We find out his name is Thumper because he likes to thump, thump, thump people, but he also has a patch on his jacket that says Thumper. So that was helpful for me. And Thumper stops them and says, Hey, man, where you think you're going? Yeah, just in there. My friend looked for some work. Yeah? What kind of work? My friend here's a trainer. I'm, I'm a cut man. Cut man, Different kind, though. He pulls out a switchblade and holds it up to Michael Landon. I knew there would be a switchblade somewhere around here. Oh, yeah. But then he goes to to open the switchblade. Doesn't open. Angel magic. 
And Jonathan says, They don't make them like they used to. You have a nice day. Do you know what a cup man is? Yeah. Uh, I didn't. This is an educated guess, but I would say there's always a couple people in boxing movies or boxing matches you'll see on TV where if somebody gets hit in the face enough, especially around their eyebrow, their eyebrow will split open. And then while they're spitting into buckets and getting their mouth rinsed out with water bottles by some guy, and then another guy comes in with like a Q-tip gobbed up with who knows what, and he shoves it into the split in your eyebrow, and he's squeezing it, and he's packing a Q-tip in there, he's squeezing it some more, and somehow they always get the uh, the blood to stop enough so that you can go out and get punched in the face some more. You know a lot about boxing, much more than I expected. Thank you. I have seen two or three boxing films. This has nothing to do with the episode, but Joel found out recently, and you're going to have to help me out, about the time period. There was a time when the thing to do was to learn to sword fight, right? This was in, in Germany between World War I and World War II. It was a part of, if you were working on like your master's degree or PhD in Germany, you would also take fencing. And while you were doing that, it was encouraged if you got cut on the face, they didn't wear masks when they were fencing. If you got a cut on the face, they would stuff your cut full of horsehair so that the scar wouldn't heal back together. You just shove some pet dander in your face so that it can congeal over. Now imagine with me, if you will, just try to think of like a German scientist from like an old movie or just that stereotypical character of like ah Zeke's German scientist does he not have scars coming down from his eyes because they do for me that's incredible that actually puts a lot into perspective a badge of honor evidence of your education that is incredibly disgusting yeah I mean maybe they'll say differently in a hundred years but right now I think it's really against medical advice to shove any kind of animal hair animal fur into your cuts not a good idea we're going to cut to inside the boxing gym now. Oh, excellent. And it's pretty much every movie I saw growing up depiction of a boxing gym. You know, looks a little dirty, people hitting the, the thing. The speed the, bag. Speed bag. Thank John you. Jumping rope. But we do then get to meet Boomer Brooks. Also known as Clarence Brooks. Also known as Grandpa. I think he's the owner of the gym. They approach Boomer and they tell him they're looking for work and he's a cut man and the other guy's a trainer. And Clarence, I mean, Boomer, Clarence, Grandpa, I don't know. I'm probably just going to use all three. We'll see. Boomer Brooks says, hey, I was actually looking for a cut man, but I didn't think word had gotten around yet. So once again, Michael Landon knows about a job before the job has been posted. Interesting. Right. And then, of course, Boomer Brooks wants to know if Jonathan has any references. And Jonathan tells him, oh, well, you know, I worked around Vegas. I don't know, not really have any references. All of the sudden, some of the guys in the ring, the fight stops because one of them's gotten a little too rough and the other guy's got a big old cut right across his eyebrow. What an amazing opportunity to do some angel magic. At this point, Rachel and I are still looking at each other going like, neither of us knew what a cut man was. (laughs) That's a good point. I think... I think we were both kind of figuring it out. Is it Michael Landon's fault that a dude gets his eyebrows split open? Because I can only imagine that that hurts like a mother. We have to presume, yeah, that he was the cause. Actually, I think it would be the big boss who causes the angel magic. But like all things, it worked together for the greater good because Michael Landon was able to show off his skills as a cut man. We see him working on the cut and then he turns away. No evidence of the cut. The cut is gone. And Boomer goes, how'd you do that? 
He's like, I'm a cup man. And then he, he does say somewhere in here something about that's better than references. So again, we don't need references. We're just going to show the skills. So of course he gets the job. And Mark just gets a job as a tag along. If I just zipped some guy up Healy style on his face, I put a little band-aid over it. I agree completely. I actually thought that when we were watching the show that Boomer Brooks should have maybe commented on the fact that he has supernatural powers rather than just giving him a job right away. But nope, we just move right past that. He's kind of showing off a little bit. A little cocky if you ask me. When it comes to Boomer Brooks though, maybe not that character, but the actor who plays Boomer Brooks, he was also on Quantum Leap. Did you look into any of the details of the episode of Quantum Leap he was on? Season 2 episode Episode one called Honeymoon Express. He plays a porter. It's an episode where Sam leaps into the body of a New York City police detective. He's traveling with his new bride on a, the Honeymoon Express. It's a train that goes from New York to Niagara Falls. You should keep track of how many people show up on both Quantum Leap and Highway to Heaven. It'd be super excellent if we could also maybe find that one or two character actors that do the trifecta. That being Highway to Heaven, Quantum Leap, and sliders. Ooh. <laughs> that sounds like a good challenge. Also, the actor Hank Rolick, who plays Boomer Brooks, he played Apollo Creed's corner man in Rocky 1 and 2. Oh. Okay, so Michael Landon has Angel Magic the cut in front of everybody and guaranteed he and Mark jobs at the gym. I smell the plot coming on. The next scene is going to involve the plot and sort of state who needs some help in this show. Yes, our next character we meet, and it's the reason I said we can call Boomer Grandpa, we meet Boomer's grandson, Joey. Joey's probably in his early 20s, and he is training as a boxer. He's actually training for the fight of the neighborhood. He's going to be fighting Thumper. Yeah, and in just a couple days, Joey, uh, the actor Chip McAllister, who um, some of you have maybe seen on screen, he played Cassius Clay in the movie The Greatest just a couple years before this. I have not seen that film. And so what I like about this is that the actor that we're watching here, he was picked by Muhammad Ali to play himself. That's cool. Yeah, and the one thing I, I realized I was never completely clear on is why this fight for the neighborhood is taking place. This fight is going to define who has control of the neighborhood. Is it Satan's helpers or is it Joey and the good guys? And just in case there's any doubt that Joey is a good guy, Michael Landon and Mark start to talk about whether or not Joey wants to go pro. How soon are you going to turn pro? I'm not going to. Heard too much about that from my grandpa. See, when you're good, everybody wants a piece of you. But when you're history, they throw what's left away. What are you going to do? Work with kids. Teach them to box, to have pride. Maybe they won't end up on the street corners with Satan's helpers. <laughs> I sure hope Joey wins. <laughs> now we're, we're cutting to Mark and Jonathan are back out on the street, walking down the sidewalk. And just to reinforce, Joey is a good kid. They're literally talking about what a great kid Joey is. And then all of a sudden, Jonathan just stops and goes, there he is. We cut to a shot of our old cowboy. Here's our old cowboy from the start. And picture the back of an apartment building with the classic city balconies, fire like escape. fire escape, kind of the scaffolding going up the building. So the old man's probably about six floors.
soars up, climbing over the side of the balcony. Mark's like, he's gonna jump. Bam, loud action music. Mark takes off running. He runs into the building and we just see Mark going up and up and upstairs. The camera's aiming down the stairwell and you see Mark spiraling up the stairs and you're just watching him. He's getting closer and closer and closer to you. How many times do you think Michael Landon made Victor French do that? I don't think there was a stunt double. He was definitely running up those stairs. So when he gets to the his location, which I, I said to Joel, how does he know where he's going? And Joel was just like, I just, he just knows. So he gets to the top of the stairs. Jonathan's standing at the top of the stairs, staring at him, smirking. So Jonathan has used his angel magic. What's the word? He can just change positions. Like can teleport? Teleported. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, he teleported to the top of the stairs. Yeah, he gets there and Victor's just like, oh boy understandably he just ran up six flights of stairs so they go out to uh the balcony hey there partner how you doing get away from me i'm gonna jump and if you try to stop me i'll take you with me whatever's bothering you it isn't bad enough to kill yourself over bad enough let me tell you something fella old is bad i used to be somebody now i'm nothing broke forgotten can't walk the streets without those punks mugging me now my eyes are going a couple of months I'll, I'll probably be blind I don't have the money for an operation and you say things can't be so bad the best thing about this is Jonathan basically negs him into coming back inside. I never thought the masked rider would take the coward's way out. This sounds like some Lone Ranger shit right now. Turns out this old gentleman was a TV star very much in the style of the Lone Ranger. And according to IMDb, I don't have the exact information here, but the, the character's name is kind of like a portmanteau of the actor who played the Lone Ranger's name. I love Our masked writer friend is excited that they remember him. He says, I can't believe you remembered me. Nobody remembers me. Mark says he became a cop because he grew up watching the masked writer and he wanted to help people. Was Victor French strong enough to give that old man a sweaty, sweaty hug, realizing that he finally met his TV idol? Even better, he asks him for an autograph. I don't know if this is really appropriate right now, you know, with you about to jump off a building, but can I have your autograph? And then the masked writer starts laughing and then Michael Landon starts laughing and Mark starts laughing and we are just having a group belly laugh and he's not going to jump off the balcony. It'd be pretty funny if he laughed himself off the balcony the wrong way. (laughs) No, he does does not do that. No, he says, let's all go back into my apartment. You got to meet my roommate, Sydney Eagle. Okay. Going into the apartment, going to meet Sydney Eagle. Tell me all yep. about it. So um, Sydney Eagle, he as they're walking up, he says that he is a widower and that they've been roommates for the past 20 years. When we meet Sydney Eagle, what we find out that Sydney Eagle is also known as the character Red Feather, who was the masked rider's sidekick on the TV show. So the Lone Ranger and Tonto live together on Skid Row. Yep. Correct. I don't really want to get into my own professional experience here on the podcast. I don't want to tell too many inside baseball stories, but God help us if Choo Choo Bob and Richard W. Cornbelt end up on Skid Row somewhere. It'd be like a, it'd be like a, well, they, an odd couple. They they do mention <laughs> on on crack. They do mention that they were stars before residuals, so I don't know. But yeah, yeah so they the, could the, have the, the horses made more money than we did. Yeah, so they're roommates. That is thoroughly depressing. 
<laughs> Mostly on a personal level, but please go on. But I mean, you're you're getting a picture why the man wanted to jump off the balcony, Sam. Oh, he's, he's like, so hey, good. I live with my co-star from my movies from 87 years ago. Never got a wife. Just live with my Robin, the, the Cape Crusader. And I can't even go to the grocery store or the pharmacy without the well-dressed punk stopping me for my meds. You know, yeah, it's not a, it's not a pretty picture. Like you said, get, getting old is not good. Okay, but so I don't blame this guy. So we're gonna pause that storyline for a minute. Just hold them at the apartment. Jonathan goes back to the gym, and the first people we run into are actually Joey and Thumper. Thumper's kind of confronting Joey about the fight. No surprise, Thumper doesn't want to play this fight fair. He tells Joey that Joey's going to throw the fight or else Boomer is going to be dead meat. And I quote, he ain't jiving. Does anybody call a person a turkey during this exchange? Because that's another prime insult of the day. You talking jive to me? Turkey? No turkeys. Do you guys think that's something we should try to bring back? I'm a fan of any insulting word that doesn't involve like body parts. Anything is better than calling somebody a body part. Well, now I'm just thinking of all the body part insults. So let's move away from this line of discussion. Fine, be an elbow about it. (laughs) You turkey. So Thumper has no scruples. If Joey doesn't throw this fight in the third round, he's going to murder Grandpa, who owns the gym. So clearly Thumper doesn't care about Joey, and he certainly doesn't care about Boomer, but then he also doesn't care about this gym. In uh, Thumper's defense, we don't really get to see all of the things that go into managing a gang. This may be the best option out of a series of other choices, which are much worse. Nobody goes through any of the minutes of the gang meetings at any point. They don't meet up for coffee in the morning and decide, the day's objectives, who to rustle up, who to stab. No, we don't get that perspective. Which cars to bonk on on the way by. And it sounds like one of the goals of this gym is to make it more difficult for Satan's helpers to recruit members. They make it seem like the only thing that's keeping the kids from joining these street gangs is this gym. So if they can eliminate the gym, they might be able to boost recruitment. That'll be the only thing going in town. There's clearly no pinball arcade anywhere nearby. We see Jonathan in the background and we realize that Jonathan has overheard this altercation between Joey and Thumper. How long have you been here? Long enough. What are you going to do about it? You've heard what he said. I either throw the fight or else. Come on, maybe he's just trying to scare you. Yeah, you don't know Satan's helpers. They don't care about nothing. What about the police? (laughs) You kidding? What are they going to do? Even if they could bust them, they'd be right back out on the streets. They do my granddad even worse then. Look, Joey, I'm here to help you if, you if you want it. You want to help me? Just don't say anything to my granddad, to anybody. We're closed now. So Joey's really backed into a corner here. We're going back to the Masked Rider and Sydney's apartment. Yeah. Casa El Depresso. It's going to get a little better, though, because we do see Mark and the roommates are laughing, and then Jonathan comes to join the group, but they say they're going to break out the old trunk that they haven't broken out since Sydney moved in. I don't know. 20 years ago. They haven't been playing pretend for quite some time together, so now that they have a new stranger to entertain, why not start acting it out in the living room? Am I right? You have an idea what's in the trunk. Oh, my God. 
He's like, hey, why don't you put on your old uniform? Out come the costumes. This show is putting a hole in my heart right now. And it's exactly what you and hopefully everyone else is picturing. It's the Lone Ranger costume. We've got the mask, the little cowboy shirt, and the (laughs) hat. And Sydney's got the Headdress. headdress, the leather jacket. It's pretty much what any of us who watch the Lone Rangers are picturing right now. There's a little pageantry showing a couple items that come out of the trunk, and then they go into the back room and they come out dressed up, right? No. Just to be clear, they're holding up the outfits and showing them off, but they are not trying them on right now. There is a little joking about Sydney whether says, or not. Uh, I think you've had a little, maybe a little too much pasta, maybe too many eclairs. What, what's Sydney's accent right there, Joel? Well, I was going to go with a little from each. A little from each. A little from everything. It's like a spice rub of an accent. Pinch of this, pinch of that, pinch of this. He, so there's a fat about, joke. But he joked about eating too much pasta. And declares. And declares. Well, they do spend enough time together that I suppose they would know each other's favorite foods after all. It has been 47 years. And this is where Mark learns that all of the great old timers live around here in this neighborhood. Yes, it is not just the Masked Rider in Sydney. Dick Tracy's there. The Phantom's there. The Spirit. Captain (laughs) Shadow. The Green Hornet. Cato. They're all there. You're close. Specifically, we've got Buck Corrigan, Deadwood Dick, Lash Latham, and Roland Ronaldo. And I think they were all on different shows. I didn't get the impression they're all on The Masked Rider. The Masked Rider does have a good line. He says, yep, we were something once, though, weren't we? Now we all live around here concentrating mostly on staying regular. Everybody laughs again. That's like the only thing people will tell you about getting old. They want you to figure out how to fall on your face in almost every other regard. But then uh, that's really the only thing you end up knowing is that it's really hard to poop when you're an old person. Yep, we have a lot to look forward to. I Uh, can't wait. I can't wait to watch you grow old either. (laughs) End up in your little apartment. I have so many poops to talk about, you and I and Rachel. (laughs) And Rich Corn. Yeah, we'll get Richard W. Cornbell over here. Boy, that guy's got some stories. So all the old timers live in the neighborhood and they get together at the neighborhood cafeteria to talk every day. They go have their old guy coffee and they invite Mark and Jonathan. They're like, Mark and Michael Landon, come on over. Why don't you come meet the gang? What do you picture when you picture this cafeteria, Sam? The big food fight scene from Blazing Saddles. The cafeteria surprised me. I think we went to everybody's grandma's basement with a lot of wood paneling. And a very generic looking wooden table. All the old timers are sitting around the wood table. Old guy in the background sort of wiping down glasses. It's very small. It looks like about the size of a bedroom. So cafeteria is a very fancy name for this meeting place. It's probably the classiest name they were willing to give this tiny room somewhere in somebody's shitty house. Apparently they do serve food and drinks. Because what we first see is Michael Landon and Victor French and all the old timers sitting around laughing like i said just a lot of laughing in this episode i mean mark mark and john just really it felt like they brought like life to this they really invigorated them mark is asking them to like say their own lines sydney Uh, can i ask you to do me a favor sure kid what nah i feel dumb asking oh don't be coy kid it's not often everyone remembers us like you do well could you you know say fresh tracks huh (laughs) (laughs) oh you mean like like this Fresh track. Looked like maybe three, four hour old. I love it. I love it. 
<laughs> then the Satan's helpers show up. They're back. Breaking These guys up the have party. nothing to do. This does not sound like a place that good-looking people even want to remotely try getting some food. They go up to the cook. What you got to eat, Pops? Sandwiches. I can see that. What kind? Turkey, ham, salami. Turkey. Crime pays in the rear. Ham. Crime pays in the rear. All three. And crime doesn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> that guy doesn't even want to do the line. He's like, crime doesn't pay. I don't understand the crime pays in the rear. Obviously, they're saying we're not paying for the sandwiches, but did, did you? I feel that's like saying me stealing this sandwich. Doesn't it feel like you're getting it in the butt? Oh, crime pays in your rear. I guess so. I mean, I knew that's it wasn't closest. good. That's very bold language. So, you know, you know what? <laughs> so then they leave with the, well, then they leave with the sandwiches. They leave with the sandwiches. Well, of course they leave with the sandwiches. That's the whole point. No, the whole point, though, is the old timers see this. Yeah. Oh. And you just see them go from this, like, joy-filled moment of reliving the glory days. At this point, I just wrote, spirits are diminished. The joy has left the room at this point. The masked rider, we end with him just shaking his head and saying, better days. Yep, better days. These poor, poor old <laughs> bastards. So now we cut ahead. We see Joey. We're in his bedroom. Joey's just sitting on the side of his bed. The door opens behind him. And in the silhouette, we see Boomer. And he comes walking over to Joey. He's like, ah, thinking about the fight. You know what? You're the best fighter. You don't need to worry about that. You know, you only need to worry if you haven't been training. And you've mm -hmm. been training. And he tells Joey that Joey is the best fighter he's ever trained, that he's ever come across. Do you think uh, Boomer is telling the truth? Because a lot of grandpas will just say, you're my favorite, even though there's 19 grandchildren. Joel's grandma did that. Yeah, I realized that, like... like Way to throw Joel's grandma under the bus, Rachel. <laughs> I, 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 I was one of those things I realized, where, like, I think, like, you know, in my 30s, I was like, wait a minute. You <laughs> were her favorite, Joel. <laughs> So we're seeing Joey, and he's worried about the fight. The grandpa misinterprets this as Joey thinking that he's going to lose the fight, but Joey's really just worried about, like, I either win the fight and grandpa dies, or I lose the fight and grandpa lives. And but of course, there's no way he can tell grandpa of the threats that have come from Thumper. Grandpa looks, says this is an opportunity to help uplift my grandson's spirits. When you win this fight, the kids in this neighborhood will learn that they don't need to become a Satan's helper. They'll learn that working hard can make you somebody. Grandpa says, just be a good person and work hard. That's what makes you somebody. Lots of pressure being put on little old Boomer here. It's a hard decision. Throw this fight, save grandpa, or win this fight, murder grandpa, but become a very good role model in this neighborhood. Tough choice. Does sound like a pretty shitty neighborhood, though. I mean, this is the only neighborhood he's got, and as we'll learn... He could move. I mean, that's the way you could solve yes. almost any problem. Well, you have a problem at work? Quit your job. <laughs> you have a problem with your neighbors? Move. I've tried that a few times. <laughs> So basically, the scene just ends with Joey telling Grandpa that he loves him. I mean, what else can you say? I love you, Grandpa. And then Joey goes to sleep with a giant ball of stress in his guts. I'm, I'm guessing Joey maybe didn't go to sleep, but let's hope he did. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. 
visit our website, highway2heavenrevisited.com, to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over. The next day we're at the gym and Joey's just yelling at one of the kids. Boomer tells Joey, he says, I'm leaving to run errands. Joey says something a little off and he asks Joey if he's all right. Joey says, I'm fine. But then after grandpa leaves, he starts snapping at the little kids he's working with. Joey's losing it. Coming apart at the seams. And Joey's goal is to work with these kids and, you know, show them that there's a better future out there for him. Now he's just scaring them. Poor kids. And then the kids are confused and they turn to Mark and they're like, what the heck's going on? Joey's the guy that we're all relying on. He's going to save the neighborhood, but he's turning into a jerk. Mark tries to reassure him, but Mark then goes to confront Joey. What's wrong with you, dude? But we find out that just like all couples do, Michael Landon has told Mark about the problem. So Mark's like, I know what's going on. And Joey really upset that Jonathan broke his trust. So basically, this is not calming Joey down. Mark, you don't know what it's like to live in this neighborhood. You got here yesterday, and now you're trying to solve my problems. Yeah, you come here with your chest all puffed out, talking about trying to change things. Then you find out how hard it is to change those things, so then then you just leave and move on. But I have to live here. Joey's already got Mark and Jonathan Price's (laughs) number. Joey actually doesn't need any help. If anything, he needs Mark and Jonathan Price to get out of his life so that he can calm down and beat the crap out of Thumper. If anything, this was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Really? This was the moment where I felt like they were like calling out the great white hopes. You guys don't even live here. You just show up here to think you want to fix something. You can't fix it. And then you leave and then you pat yourselves on the back for the rest of your life in your resumes and stuff. Oh, you went and you volunteered for something for an afternoon and now it lives on your resume forever? And then not surprisingly, Mark chooses not to listen to Joey's experiences. Instead, in response to Joey saying one person can't change anything, Mark says, I'm going to find out about that and storms off. Okay, we'll see Mark later. But Jonathan comes in. So, you know, we're just switching back and forth. Joey is still pissed. Now he's like, dude, why'd you tell Mark? I didn't even want you to know about what's going on. Then Joey tells Michael Landon that he actually thinks Mark has stormed out to go confront the Satan's helpers. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what Mark does because he's a stupid old white guy who thinks he's still the king of World War II. Former cop. Yep, that is what Mark has gone to do. I think Mark can eat it. Right now, I think Mark can eat it. This is not Mark's best episode. I still retain some uh, love and affection towards Mark. I'm really starting to get sick of the phrase, it was a different time, it was a different time, but... It was not that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. None of it was long ago. No. Actually, if you think about it, 
the Civil War wasn't actually that long ago. Side note, Joel and I were actually watching some Rick Steves travels to Europe videos this morning, and I was thinking about exactly that as they were in the Scottish Highlands looking at the centuries-old ruins. I thought, wow, yeah, that's a totally different perspective on life than growing up with our history being a couple hundred years old. Not an excuse for Mark, though. Where does Boomer leave it here for us? Joey? Excuse me, not Grandpa. Grandpa's nowhere to be seen. Joey is given uh, Michael Landon an earful about being a big old blabbering loudmouth. So right now we're actually going to just cut to the Satan's Helper's lair. What does the clubhouse look like? Oh my goodness. That's so cool. So it also looks like it's in a basement, uh-huh. but we have a few like basement windows, so a little light filtering in. I just wrote 1970s. Brown couches, brown chairs, big table in the center, posters all over the walls, huge boombox stereos, street signs on street the walls, signs. and a beaded curtain over the door. What kind of posters? Are we talking... Uh... I think they were all Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. So Mark is standing in the middle of the room, surrounded by the Satan's helpers. And Mark is like, hey, lay off Joey's grandpa. To which Thumper replies, you just might be the dumbest white man I ever met. Good one, Thumper. Highly accurate. Enter Jonathan, pushing his way in right through that beaded curtain. Big thing to note that I got was that when Jonathan came through the beaded curtain, he entered as if he'd like just broken through a wall, kind of like the Kool-Aid man. Ooh, yeah. I miss that. And then there's this sort of moment where they're having this kind of back and forth where Mark is like, I guess it's our turn to beat up this gang. Jonathan is telling Mark to leave. Jonathan is like, Mark, let's get out of here. Leave. And the Satan's helpers are like, yeah, you guys leave. Listen to your buddy. Come on, Mark. Let's let's go. What do you mean, let's go? Just what I said. Let's go. You're not going to run from this punk. Mark. The boss won't like it, I know. Shut up. Now, what are you talking about, the boss? Who's your boss? You wouldn't know him. Let me tell you something. Ain't nobody moving in on this neighborhood. You hear me? Nobody. You better watch your mouth with him. Say what? Mark, he said we could go. Why don't we, why don't we go? Now, Jonathan, enough is enough. Now, come on. Stick it to him. Take hold of him. I'm going to thump a little on your friend here. And you take him back to your boss, and you show him what happens to dudes who try to move in on the Satan's helpers. You're going to be sorry. And then Jonathan gets beat up off camera. Jonathan gets beat up. Jonathan gets beat up. This is also going to be a recurring theme. Whenever Victor French wants to incite violence, Jonathan Price is going to get his butt kicked. I mean, Jonathan did say in the first episode Terminator scene that I turned the other cheek. It seems like that was a one-time deal. So far. And later on, Mark then asks him, why didn't you have the stuff, man? We're now cutting back to apparently the apartment that Mark and Jonathan have gotten sometime during the past two days. Jonathan's laying on the bed with some pillows behind him. Nose up like kind of if you have a bloody nose or something. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. got he's got that classic look to him. So he's pretending to be hurt in the corner. Jonathan says, when he doesn't want me to have the stuff, he doesn't give me the stuff. And then Mark says, well, my fault, I guess. And Jonathan says, you don't have to guess. Then Joey jumps in. He's knocking on the door. Joey's at the apartment. He's like, hey, dumb old white guys, go home. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Thanks for ruining my life. You've only made things worse. They've now kidnapped my granddad, thanks to you. Because they wanted to teach the new boss a lesson. Oh, boy. The Satan's helpers don't actually know who they're dealing with. So Joey is pissed, yells at him, and then Joey now exits in a huff. I'm falling in the third. 
what he I'm says. falling in okay. the third because the my third. grandpa has been kidnapped. Right. Thanks to you. No choice now. You've made my decision for me. So then Mark turns to Jonathan and says, well, what do we do now? Yeah, I think this is one we should reenact. Okay, please do. Yeah. Well, what do we do now? That's a very good question. I just wish I had an answer for it. Let's just think this thing out. Obviously, he doesn't want you to put the fear of God into them or he would have let you. Well, we can't go to the police because they've got Joey's grandfather. Right. So maybe this is just one of those assignments that doesn't work out, you know? You said it yourself. You're new at this. Maybe you, you don't have enough experience angeling to figure it out. So at this point, Jonathan is uh, staring out the window, looking into the distance, and he sees the masked writer gang crossing the street. That's it. Yeah, I knew it. No, no, that's not me. Look, I've been trying to figure out how to solve this, but it's not up to me. It's not up to any angel. Well, if an angel can't handle it, who can I think this is a job for the Masked Rider. I cannot wait to see how this works out. This big, giant shit sandwich that Mark is serving in this neighborhood. It can only be solved by the very old Lone Ranger mm-hmm. and his grandpas. Well, I guess it follows. If one grandpa is being kidnapped, then the power of many grandpas, they could form like a Grandpa Voltron and save Grandpa. Right now, I'm going to speculate that that's how this episode ends. There's going to be a Lone Ranger Grandpa Voltron scenario, and that's going to play out in the boxing ring somehow. So now we're back in the Masked Rider and Sydney's apartment. The Masked Rider gang is all there, and Michael Landon is trying to sell the gang on his little plan. He gives them a very Michael Landon pep talk. He says, once a hero, always a hero. This neighborhood just needs someone to stand up for it. This neighborhood's going to follow anyone who'll stand up for it. They're starting to kind of buy into it. They're like, oh, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. He does also throw in a little Michael Landon neg. At the very beginning, he goes, yeah, neighborhood needs heroes. But I look around here and I just see a bunch of heroes that gave up. I would have made it a little harsher. I would have been like, yeah, looking around here, I, I think I would be seeing a lot of heroes. Right now, all I see is zeros. Well, the masked writer says, this whole idea is crazy. Yeah, because it is. And you're like, yes, this is a crazy idea. What really sells it is when Michael Landon turns to him and goes, any crazier than jumping off a building? Oh, boy. Wow. I feel like the emotional blackmail on the good guy's side is equal or perhaps even greater than the emotional blackmail going on on the bad guy's side, if I have to be completely honest. Michael Landon is certainly not above shaming people with some real mental problems in order to get what he wants out of them. Shaming is effective. We all know that. Religion likes to do that. But the shaming works. Michael Landon gets what he wants. Yeah. Any crazier than jumping off a building and then they uh, kind of all the guys slowly raise their hands and they're like, all right, let's do this. And they say, break out the suits. We're gonna ride. It sounds like it could be potentially as cool as the end scene of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but I'm willing to bet that it is far more pathetic and slow. I will say at this point, I'm still not convinced this is a good plan. This whole Lone Ranger crew is kind of like those superhero characters on SpongeBob Square. Pants. I can't remember the name of the characters, but it's some underwater version of Batman and Robin. And it turns out their underwater Batman and Robin TV show was made many, many, many years ago in the ocean. So it's literally like Ernest Borgnine and Tim Conway, but they're very old. I feel echoes of this. I'm thinking possibly those writers watch this episode. It would not surprise me. Yeah. Okay, so are we going back to the gym? Is this the big climax? We're going to the Satan's Lair. Back into Satan's Lair. But now for a little D&D. Satan's helpers are playing D&D. 
I was going to say they're sitting around playing cards and drinking beer. But either way, they're having a good time. They are telling Boomer he has to call Joey. Oh, yeah. Boomer's been kidnapped. So we have yes. like the first Boomers in the room being kidnapped scene. Is he tied up? Does he have tape on his face? I think he's just there. He's just sitting there. The threat alone is enough to keep him there, I, mean, I guess. How many Springsteens will it take to keep you in a room? Just one for me. <laughs> Phil, man, it's time to make that call. Don't want little Joey worrying about his grandpa. You pitiful, you know that. Cut the jive, Pops, and make the call. Tell me, how does it feel not to be man enough to take on my grandson? To have to kidnap some old man to make a kid throw a fight? Dig it, my man. Feels a whole lot better than what you're going to feel if you don't make that call and make it now. And I mean now. Besides, from what I hear, throwing fights is old stuff to you. All I'm doing is keeping alive an old family tradition. <laughs> oh, this goes back a long time. Because apparently Grandpa threw a fight. Thumper hands Boomer the phone, tells him to call Joey just to be threatening is the idea. But Grandpa gets the phone and he's like, Joey, no regrets. You got to do this. Do your best. Win the fight. Win the fight. I threw a fight and I regretted it my whole life, not knowing the man that I could become. Don't do the same thing. Don't worry about me. Thumper grabs the phone and throws it down. He doesn't even hit Boomer across the face with it. For my money, the Satan's helpers aren't actually living up to their name. They sound like very humane captors as far as gangs who kidnap go. They do make the threat, don't listen to the old man, because I'll break his legs. They say, throw the fight or we break Boomer's legs. You are correct, because this Hmm. point in the episode, the only blood that has been spilled is on that very first cut that Jonathan miraculously made disappear. No bruising, no cuts, no blood on anybody else. I'm not getting a lot of danger from this gang. They have stolen three sandwiches. That's true. I mean, I guess that may be all it takes to run a neighborhood of ex-TV celebrities. All right, so do we go straight to Joey? The music starts. It's heroic. It is a riff on the Lone Ranger theme. It's like they play the first, like, six of the ten notes of the Lone Ranger theme. So it's kind of like... In the midst of this music, out of the apartment doorway comes the fully costumed masked rider gang. I think we've got six figures in full uniform. Regalia. One looked like Zorro. One looked like Tonto. Is there a Flash Gordon? Because that guy who was named Buck kind of sounded like a Flash Gordon. It was all Western. So they are standing like six abreast. They're all walking in a line down the street, and they're starting to uh, they're attract. starting to attract attention. You don't say. Hey, What's going on? Satan's helpers kidnapped Boomer Brooks. We're going to his rescue. You got to be out of your mind. Follow us and see. I ain't gonna miss this. Me neither. <laughs> go. They're starting to gather a crowd. We've got the heroes six abreast walking down the street. The crowd is starting to fall in step behind them. Hey, what's going on? This ain't Halloween. They're taking on Satan's helpers. Satan's helpers? That's right. They got Boomer Bros. The two crazy white guys said they're gonna bust him out. Hey, let's see. 
Everybody yeah. wants to see the grandpas get the tar beat out of them. Pretty much the whole neighborhood is following the gang at this point. Jonathan and Mark are with the gang as well. They turn the corner into what looks like a really wide alleyway to me. Walk down to the end of the alleyway and they've apparently reached their destination. And at this point, we're going to cut back into Satan's lair. Boomer's there. He's kind of just sitting on the side. The gang members are sitting around the table drinking tall boys a beer, playing some cards. Those hipster pacifists. <laughs> they suddenly realize there is quite a commotion going on in the street outside of their door. I think Thumper tells one of the guys, hey, hey go outside, see what's going on. Go check out this commotion. Random gang member goes out on the street. He sees this gang in costume and the mob behind him and quite understandably just bursts out laughing. And he yells down into the entryway, hey, you gotta come see this. The rest of the gang comes out and they all have the exact same reaction. They're all laughing. The gang yells, your days of terrorizing this neighborhood are over. Give us grandpa. The gang's starting to get a little more serious now. Mm -hmm. They're basically saying, if you want grandpa, you're going to have to get past us. And the switchblades come out again at this point. And they work. No angel magic here. We do have a group of aging Western TV stars, though. And one of the aging cowboys pulls out a whip. And uh, he Indiana Joneses the switchblades out of their hands. Switchblades. All at once? <laughs> All at once. Uh-oh. That is the way you want it, senor. Santa Maria. I did not know you could still do it. Neither did I. Okay, that's amazing. But then... The neighbors who've come to watch this witness this act of whip unknifing. Whippery, I believe. Thank you. They are emboldened. It emboldens them, and they grab pieces of wooden fence and beat up the gang members. I think it's that same lady from before who says, This is our chance! They can't take us all! Come on! The entire mob starts beating up the gang. (laughs) With random pieces of lumber. It's amazing. Okay, so all those Bruce Springsteen's... Well, they're enveloped at this point. Like, we can't see them. The crowd has overtaken the gang. And we do have a quick shot to uh, Michael Landon standing, watching this mob scene with his hands on his hips, laughing. So Michael Landon is laughing when the Satan's helpers are getting pulverized. Yes. His emotional center is very hard to track. I feel like it's pretty inconsistent. But I have to say, even though I noticed it, it didn't bother me in the moment. I feel like the laughing really comes from hearing the little little old chubby white ladies go from like, this is ridiculous to we're gonna win. And uh-huh. I think his laughing is in reference to them. At least that's how I interpreted yeah, it. Yeah, I was kind of picturing our moms rushing in at that point. Well, maybe he's just laughing from a perspective of like, ah, humans. Ha, 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 ha. I remember when I was a human. So they don't forget the mission. Mark and Jonathan do grab Grandpa. They leave the mob to deal with the gang. The masked riders, Jonathan and Mark, grab Grandpa and make their way to the fight. So the fight is still happening. The fight has not been superseded by the Grandpa rescue operation. Right. They hop on the city bus. Right. Nobody has a car. Why would they? They're in a densely populated urban area. Of course they use public transit. So we get a good shot of the masked crew, Grandpa. Mark and Jonathan all boarding the city bus, walking up, paying their fares, and finding their seats. (laughs) Did it look like they just got on the bus with some cameras? Were there any like real people on the bus? There was one older white drunk guy on the bus. So once they all find their seats, Sydney Redfeather ends up sitting next to the drunk guy. And you know, he's got his full Native American Redfeather regalia costume on. I feel a racial trigger warning coming on. This is interesting. Let's talk about this. So 
drunk guy in his sleepy drunkenness ends up cuddling. Uh, cuddling, yeah. Leans his head over and does the classic, my head is now on Sydney's shoulder. That sort of startles the drunk enough to wake him up. So he raises his head, opens his eyes, and finds himself gazing up at Sydney Redfeather. To which drunk man then raises his hand, palm out, and says, how? Sydney replies, I don't know. Drunk looks at him, says, I don't know either. Goes back to sleep. Yeah, I thought the drunk guy was going to say something way more super racist than that. I was a little worried about that. So where does that leave us in this episode of... (laughs) We're at the big fight now. We're at the fight. Thumper and Joey are being separated and going to their corners. Um, Who is more stacked, Joey or Thumper? Joey. And Joey, he just looks kind of confused, but he's not tired. Thumper looks tired, sweaty. Dejected. Sounds like Thumper was really resting on his laurels leading up to the fight. He didn't seem to be doing a lot of conditioning or exercising leading up to the fight. Mostly just threatening leading up to the fight. No training whatsoever? No, just a lot of sandwiches. Thumper was not in the group of Satan's helpers that got pulverized with rando pieces of lumber? Yeah, and that actually brings up a good question that I just thought of. Why weren't more of the gang members at the fight? cheering him on. They were all back at the lair with Grandpa. There's quite an audience at the fight, but I don't see any Satan's Helper's jackets. Do you think that they had plans to get to the fight and then they all got the shit beat out of them by the mob in the streets so now they just are physically unable to come to the fight? I mean, I'm thinking maybe they were going to catch that city bus. Oh yeah, that was probably the bus meant for them. Yeah, right? Okay, so none of Satan's Helper's are there to cheer Thumper on and Thumper is flop sweating, it sounds like. He is. Then the cowboys come marching in, and the audience is just, it thinks it's hilarious. Yeah, the, it's funny. It's a bunch of old guys dressed up. Then Grandpa runs up to Joey, and he goes, Grandson, it's okay to win if you still can. And he's like, oh, I, I can. Yeah, and then he stands up, and he's just like, yeah, I've just been faking it for the last three rounds. And I suppose Joey is ready to go. He's like, oh, my grandpa's no longer kidnapped, so I should thump Thumper for a little while here. And he does. He goes, oh, just watch me. And he hops up and just, like, ten punches right to Thumper's head and body. Thumper goes down. Is he out? Like Izzy's closies. Izzy's closies KO'd. Good guys win. Grandpa jumps in and hugs Joey. We're doing the winner. Arm is raised. Everyone is excited. The neighborhood saved. Then we turn to the cowboys. The cowboys are there watching. Everything has been solved. Everyone's happy. It reminded me a bit of uh, in the Twilight Zone when the aliens came to Elm Street or whichever one that is. Uh, It's the episode of the Twilight Zone where it's a neighborhood. The power goes out. And all the neighbors come out and they're like, oh, the power went out. But then the power goes back on in one house. And they're like, why does he have power and I don't? Well, he's kind of, I think he might be a communist. And the next thing you know, by the end of it, they're all like fighting each other. And then the the camera pulls back. And then there's the other side of the hill. And there's just two little aliens talking to each other. And they're like, you thought we had to come down here and like, you know, blast lasers and and nuclear bombs? No, you just come down here and mess with their power a little bit. And they'll just take care of themselves. I went to a guitar store a few months ago. Shop for some electric guitar strings Uh of a certain variety and I stopped by a local establishment. I picked out the product I was looking for and brought it up to the desk and the guy informed me that the computers were down but he'd try running my card anyway. So he tried to run my card and it didn't work. So then we decided to try to do it the old-fashioned way. Since my card wasn't going to work, I did have enough cash to cover the purchase. So he found the receipts where he literally just had to write three packs of these guitar strings 
and then how much those are. And then it took us like another 10 minutes to figure out how to manually do the sales tax on the sale. Oh. Because we had to figure out what was the current sales tax rate <laughs> and then try to remember what 1997 was like when we still were using the sales tax rate to get the total. It took like 15 minutes. Whether or not it requires extraterrestrial intervention, as soon as the whole internet breaks for longer than 15 minutes, the world is going to melt down at an extraordinary exponential rate. It might get ruined in like one day. I think that's very possible. A couple of weeks ago, there was a nationwide outage at Target stores. I happened to be with my sister in line at the self-checkout, attempting to check out as the outage happened. It became pretty apparent to me quickly that this was a store-wide problem. But I could tell by the way the employees were talking. I turned to my sister and I said, oh, this is not going to be resolved soon. This might be it. Yeah. And that led us to the conversation of this is how the world will end. Suddenly just no cash registers work at Target. And then what if we go across the street? Nothing works at Walmart. Nothing's working at the 7-Eleven. Society's done. We're back to Mad Max. My hope is that I could be like the Tom Waits character from the Book of Eli, the guy who has all the dongles that can charge your cell phone. I want to be that guy in the post-apocalypse. I want to be the AV guy in the post-apocalypse. How are, what are you doing right now to prepare yourself to be that guy? Well, uh, as you can see, this Channel 3 TV studio is just a veritable mountain of gear knickknacks patty wax give your dog a bones look at this thing and for all of the negative criticism that the later MacBook Pros of uh, 2019 have received due to them going down to just a USB-C port, it has birthed a plethora of dongles in yeah. your life. This is my biggest one. Feast your eyes on my biggest dongle. It's gigantic. I do have a similar dongle with perhaps even more ports, but it's of a smaller, more diminutive variety. I could show you that dongle later. So the two cowboys, as the camera comes back, the cowboys are looking at each other and they're like, Hey, where are those two young fellas anyway? I don't know, but they're gone. Yes. <laughs> Call himself Jonathan. You know, I have a feeling if we ever need him again, they'll be back. Yeah. I don't know why, but... Yeah, I think that's true. Wish you knew his name. I mean his real name. I uh, just wanted to thank And they laughed. I didn't really I get it. I get that they're referencing the old Lone Ranger shows. Maybe I just haven't watched enough of those. Sure. But it, the joke doesn't really apply because Jonathan Price and Mark just go around saying, Hello, I'm Jonathan Price and this is my friend Mark. Right. And we, we were pretty obvious that we have some supernatural powers. I feel like this is another thing that's going to happen very frequently. Michael Landon and Mark just seem to ghost to the party when it's all done. They're not going to stick around for any goodbyes. Yeah, I, th I think this was the original Irish goodbye. We could maybe call it the Landon goodbye or the angel goodbye. Let's put a pin in that and really come up with a real catchy phrase for it. Yeah, and then it just cuts to their car driving off kind of into the sunset. Wow. 
It'll be interesting whether or not there's a sequel episode in a later season. We get to go back to this uh, gang of old rascals. Oh, I, I hope so. I really hope we go back to the town to see how, how things have been cleaned up or changed. See what all those Satan's helpers are up to now that they don't run the neighborhood anymore. What ways they've found to support their family if going straight is their new MO. Mm-hmm. And maybe if they didn't do a sequel episode, maybe that's the first thing we do when we're uh, done talking about every episode of this podcast is just write the sequel episode for this episode. Can we start writing some fanfic? Yeah. Joel, you're an expert on Reddit. You can uh, get us a subreddit. Tales of Thumper. You'll get those subreddits cooking, won't you? Oh, for sure. Okay, good. We got through another one, guys. Uh, Sam, what do you feel like the moral that you learned from this episode? What is the moral of this episode? The moral of this episode is, if you were on TV one time, don't worry, you will end up living with everybody you were on TV with. (laughs) And if you're very, very old you can still win any fight that you put your mind to, as long as you can get a whole crowd of people to do it for you. That feels kind of comforting to me. Does that feel comforting to you? Yeah, I've never been into a fight, and I look forward to former fans of mine (laughs) helping me accomplish my dreams of getting into fights when I'm a very old man. I like that. That'll be just the juice I'm looking for. Let me tell you what. That's really going to pep up life for Mm -hmm. me and Richard W. Cornbelt. Yep. Spice things up. Keep those bowels regular. So, Joel, do you have a takeaway? Look for complementary problems. Sometimes one problem might be able to solve the other problem. Like he says, you know what? This isn't an angel problem. This is a problem for the masked rider. I think from now on, when I have problems, I might first, instead of thinking like, oh no, what have I done? I've created yet another problem or there's something that only I can solve. What if I say, oh, this doesn't look like a Joel problem. This looks like a problem for Rachel to solve. This looks like a problem for Sam to solve. (laughs) This looks like a problem for my grandpa to solve. (laughs) Rachel, what's your take on the moral of the story as far as this episode is concerned? There's just so much going on in this episode, but the one thing that I think I'm really going to take away from it is just the old proverb that clothes make the man. You know, when I was younger, I didn't used to think that. I really thought people should be judged on their merits. It shouldn't matter what you look like. And then the older I got, Joel actually kind of tried to talk me out of that one. And I remember arguing that he was completely wrong. But now that we've watched this episode, I think I might be leaning towards his side because nobody was interested in what that old gang had to say until they put their costumes on. I have found in my lifespan that I have always been taken more seriously by people in general if I get a haircut and shave my face. I think that's Joel's argument. You put on a suit and you can do anything, right? Right. I liked to loiter as a kid and I found that if I put on a suit and tie, I could loiter, you know, uh, in a pair of Jinko jeans and a shirt with maybe an alien on it wearing a cat in the hat hat. That person wandering through an abandoned gas station. There would be a certain expectation of the people interacting with you that, oh, you're just a punk ass kid trying to find somewhere to smoke your reefer cigarettes. As a 20 year old, then I found if I wore like a suit and tie and like wingtips, same scenario, it's 1130 at night and I'm poking around in an abandoned gas station. They're just like, oh, he's Mormon. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You get the benefit of the doubt. They can't sum you up. They give you a chance to explain yourself. You're only going to be able to communicate who you are two ways. One is by sight, and second is by sound, what you say. And you don't have a chance to say something to everybody that you come across. And if you do, you're talking way too much. That's a good point. This is off topic, but a couple months ago, I had a job interview. The woman interviewing me was blind. Obviously, we had communicated via phone and 
via email, so I did not realize she was blind until I walked into the interview. And it was very interesting because suddenly you're realizing all that outfit I spent the time picking out, all my nonverbal cues, they don't matter. Wow. They don't matter. Yeah. That must have been unnerving wild. and like relieving. That yeah. must have been like a combination of some strange feelings. Yeah. It, it was very interesting. I did get called back for a second interview. I didn't get the job, but uh, I must have done okay with my verbal communications because mm-hmm. generally we are going to judge somebody based on what they're wearing. Listeners, Sam is in a three-piece suit with a top hat and a cane. I was I was waiting for one of you to mention something about my top hat. And a uh, three-inch wax mustache. Don't forget the monocle. This is an official Mr. Peanut monocle. Do you want to take a look? Oh, here, take a look at it. Oh, thank you very. Oh, oh my goodness! Everything is. uh, uh, Oh, uh, you can keep it. This has been a surprisingly introspective episode for I think everyone involved here. But don't forget, we figure out what the moral of the episode is, but we also gauge what the Michael Landon factor of any episode of this television program is. So, Rachel, on a scale of one to ten, how many Michael Landons do you give this episode? You know, I'm gonna give this one a seven because it was there. He was in a lot of the episode. He did quite a few angelly things, smiled a lot but really he was just laughing his way through this episode there was so much laughter and not so much presence so seven for me okay joel i would also go with seven he was there he was present but there weren't heart-to-heart moments that no that he made any connections with mark was really the only one making any of the deep connections at least and he just kept messing it up okay so an overall landing factor of 7.0 Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the close of what is our third episode of this podcast. I assure you, we will have a Google voicemail set up at some point so you can weigh in on what your reaction to our hot takes on uh, this classic 80s TV show are. Rachel has set up a wonderful Instagram account for this show. It is at Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. Correct. There's lots of good stuff on there. Follow along on the adventure and we will see you next time. Well, you'll hear us next time on the next episode. So please join the party and ride along. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. What are you looking at? Patsy Maynard, she used to be my favorite country western star. You tell her you're her mother, she'll just go away with you. I lost my daughter once. I'm not going to lose her again. I told you to go to work. Sorry. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-356-2495.
612 flow is fine. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.